Well, it was the summer of 2008 in a rural community somewhere in Turkey when a group of uh, shepherds returned from breakfast together to check on their flocks. And when they got back, they were, uh, they were as shocked as they were horrified at what they saw happening. Their sheep were all sort of gathered together, sort of like a sheep play date kind of thing, and the, the sheep were all uh, uh, enjoying each other's company and doing what sheep do, and the shepherds went to have a bite to eat. Now, near the edge of this field where the sheep was grazing was, was actually a cliff. It's actually a 50-foot drop at the edge of the field. But surely these timid little animals would never go near the edge of the cliff, right? Wrong. They not only went near the edge of the cliff, but one at a time, they were, uh, in, in rapid succession, they were running over the edge of the cliff. There was 1,550 sheep. Every single one of them ran over the cliff and plummeted 50 feet down. The first 450 sheep died on impact. The other 1,100 sheep were spared because the first 450 <laughs> cushioned their fall. And they survived. I know it's, we should laugh, but it is kind of, there's something about that. Now, I mean, it was tragic, certainly, for these, these shepherds, uh, to be sure. But you hear this story, and I'm not making it up. This isn't some sort of, you know, uh, uh, made-up story that preachers tell. It's real. You Google it, and you will find it. It really actually happened. As you think about this, you know, for a preacher, I mean, well, there's all kinds of things you could do with this. You could break into a little lesson on the dangers of following the crowd, Right? Uh, don't follow the crowd because, you know, they're not necessarily going to lead you to a good place. Or, or maybe it's a, a reminder, a cautionary tale for pastors to keep their eyes on their flock, right? I mean, that could, be, that could be a great message too. But to be sure, I think the most basic lesson in all of this, this terrible tragedy is that sheep need a shepherd. They need a shepherd. Sheep don't do well on their own. In fact, they do very poorly on their own. They can't make it without a shepherd to protect them and to provide for them and to guide them. Sheep need a shepherd. And as much as we might shake our heads at these, these pitiable creatures who would one after another plunge over a cliff, uh, we would be wise to remember that Jesus called us sheep. He called us sheep on many occasions. Uh, he referred to himself as the great shepherd, so we are well supplied for. But did you know, in, the, in Jesus' wisdom, he has, the Lord has ordained that under his shepherding there would be under-shepherds. Shepherds who shepherd his flock, who care for his people, who provide for them, protect them, and guide them. One such under-shepherd was the Apostle Peter. In fact, the, the last conversation, the last private conversation that we have between Jesus and Peter recorded in Scripture is a conversation in which Jesus repeatedly exhorted Peter to look after his sheep. He told Peter, feed my sheep, tend my flock. Uh, Peter was, if nothing, if it wasn't anything else, he was indeed a shepherd. And I think that as we study the book of 1 Peter, that's an important reality to keep in mind. That, Jesus, that Peter lived his life with a divine commission to shepherd the Lord's flock, to be a guide and a protector and provider for the Lord's sheep. And when we read 1 Peter, what we're reading is a book in which Peter's doing that. 
he's shepherding the flock of God. He is uh, guiding them. He's providing for them truth and help for their for their lives. It, because because the sheep need a shepherd. Just as in Peter's time, so also in our time, sheep are needful of shepherds. We we face as sheep in this world. We face all kinds of challenges and dangers. I mean, there's there's the enemy first of all who prowls like a a, a roaring what a roaring lion. Lions love lamb chops. They love they they love to eat up a little sheep. The devil wants to destroy you. So you you need to be shepherded. That's why Peter wrote First Peter so that we we could be shepherded, we could be guided. We have not only the devil out to get us, but we've got uh, we've got temptations all around us. Our own sinful hearts are in, inclined to wander away from the fold sometimes, aren't we? And not only that, we go through all kinds of trials and troubles. Just as Peter wrote to people, we've seen in our series they faced all kinds of troubles. He called them various trials. But as we read through the book, we can see they were facing all kinds of pressure persecution opposition discouragement temptations and you know what i'd say that you and i while we live a long time later in a very different place we could probably really identify couldn't we we all many of you are going through various trials they don't often come one at a time they come in bunches and batches and really threaten us and that's exactly why we need to be studying a book like first peter because it's written, it's written uh, to, to to minister to us. It's it's a shepherd shepherding us. And so for me as a preacher, I'm like under the under shepherd who's under the great shepherd who's trying to shepherd the flock. Peter wrote his book to remind his readers of the greatness of their salvation. And that's one of the reasons I'm preaching this book is to remind you about the greatness of your salvation. And in the first few weeks of our study in First Peter, we've been looking at that especially the greatness of our future salvation if you're trusting in jesus today you are forgiven and you're saved um, but there's a future salvation coming when we're going to be with the lord forever peter told us about this inheritance that's ours we've got a home in heaven that's sure and secure and it's wonderful that's that's the first little part of the book is is all about that but the other reason peter wrote this book and the other reason i'm preaching it is because of what it does for us we live in a world in which we face all kinds of pressures and pain and problem and crises. We, all of us face various trials. And so while it's encouraging to know that heaven is coming, amen, it still leaves us with the question, what then do I do right now? Like, how do I handle these pressures and problems and pains? What does God want me to do as we journey toward heaven? Well, that's what the bulk of the book is about. In fact, today, we turn into that emphasis that Peter transitions to, talking to us, not at all leaving behind the glories of our salvation, but very intentionally talking to us, teaching us, how are we to live in a world in which we realize we are, still, we are far from home? Lord, what do we do? How do we handle this? Living in a world that's so painful, that's so difficult. God, what do you want us to do? That's what this book is about. And that's where we turn now in our teaching as we look at 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. Will you turn there with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. The title of my sermon this morning is How to Hope 
fully in God. How to hope fully in God. If I said to you, hope in God, you'd say, okay. But there's a quiet little voice in you who's too afraid to ask the question, how do I do that? How do, I, how do I hope in God? How do I hope more in Him? Well, that's what today's message is about because that's what Peter writes to us about in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Now, I'm going to read to you verses 13 to 21. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn there. If you got it on your phone, power it up. If you need a Bible, there should be one close by. Just reach out and grab it from the back of the pew in front of you. It's page 1014 in the pew Bible. So you can follow along with me. I'm going to read 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 21. But then we're just going to focus on verse 13. Okay? So I'm going to read it, and um, just so you get a sense of, of what he's saying, and then we'll just focus on one part of it, and then it'll be lunch. All right? Verse 13. Therefore. Notice the word therefore. So he's connecting. He's been talking about the greatness of our salvation. And now he says, so, so isn't it wonderful? We're saved for sure, forever. It's coming. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When's the revelation of Jesus Christ? It's in the future. It's coming when Jesus comes. And we're one day closer today to His return. Verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Who said that? Who said, You shall be holy, for I am holy? Who said that? God said that. Okay, so he's quoting God. Verse 17. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now just as an overview, verses 13 to 21 that we've just read there, Peter tells his readers that they're to do three things. Uh, he, the, he tells them, the third thing he tells them to do is that they are to uh, conduct themselves with fear throughout their time of exile. That's in verse 17. In other words, there's the kind of fear that you're to live in when you're doing life in this world. We'll talk about that later and we'll unpack that. The second thing before that is that they were to be holy. He says that in verse, uh, verse 15, as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So he calls, he calls us to, to fear, whatever that is. He calls us to holiness. But today we see verse, in verse 13, he calls us to hopefulness. Do you see that in verse, in verse 13, the end of the sentence? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's the main point today. God calls you and me to hopefulness. He calls us to hopefulness. We're, we're exhorted here. You could say we're commanded here to be hopeful. 
He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. So, so there's grace that's going to be brought to you. There's a salvation that's coming. That's when Jesus comes back. And the grace that's coming is we'll be with Jesus forever that will never change and uh, we'll have we'll have rewards from god we'll be in heaven forever the the salvation that we're looking toward will be we'll we'll have it we'll experience it that's what he's talking about when jesus returns that's the grace that's coming for you so he says hope in that like set your eyes on that get your hope is is faith for the future so so get your get believing in that and, and living your life in a way looking toward that great finish line it's it's hopefulness set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed to you at the revelation of jesus remember hope is not just optimism is it right lots of you are, are optimistic people and we're grateful because we need you the rest of us who are pessimistic need to be reminded that we have a great hope but it's being hopeful biblically is more than just having a trick knee that tells you, you know, my spidey sense says everything's going to be okay. No, no, hope in the Bible is you know, there's, there's a confidence, there's a certainty about it. Because, because God has says it will come to pass, and God always does what he says he will do. So it's, it's more than just optimism. It's more than just wishful thinking, right? Like I hope we don't get a lot of snow this winter. I hope it's an easy winter for us. Um, but th- th- that kind of hopefulness, of course, is totally totally out of our, our control and, and isn't really at all certain. No, instead, biblical hope is it's a certainty. It's a, it's a knowledge. It's a, a confidence. I think of it this way. I don't know this is a great illustration, but this is the best I can do, and I'm only one man, okay? I think of it this way. It's a kind of hope that, hopefulness that I have, a kind of confidence that I have, that tomorrow the sun will come up, okay? I may or may not be here, I know that, but the sun will come up tomorrow, right? It's, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, you know, at night when it's dark, you might be outside wondering, well, maybe it won't. Like, maybe it'll just be dark like all the time. Like, maybe it's like living in the North Pole where it's, I, it's dark all the time at certain times of year. Oh, no, no, it's going to come up tomorrow, right? It always does. It's going to come up tomorrow. Now, if it doesn't happen, we've got big problems. Uh, the world has big problems. But you and I, we're good to go because we've got hope, right? Hope is not like trusting in the weather forecast. Right? I'm not down on the weather channel. But I've observed that they've, they've struggled this summer, I've found. I just, you know, just like there's rain that's happening that wasn't supposed to happen, or there was supposed to be rain and it didn't happen, and, and here you are, and, and I know they're doing their best, but I mean, that's all they can do is their best, right? Here's what we think is going to happen. When we talk about the return of Jesus and salvation forever in heaven, we're not talking like a weather forecaster. Here's what I think is going to go down. No, no, here's what is going to go down. And we believe in that. And that's hope. Notice he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think that's the part that trips most of us up. Most of you today are hoping in Jesus. You're hoping in God with real biblical hope. Like you have a confidence about you. But the word there, fully, means completely or without wavering. And I think that lots of us have to admit that that's, that's where we struggle on that note. Hoping in the Lord, I'm in. Hoping fully in the Lord, it's sort of like me. I remember when I was a kid, I've all these memories of my dad just flooding back over the last few weeks. And I can remember being a kid 
and him getting me to climb the ladder to do stuff, like go up and clean the, the leaves out of the eaves trough or to go up high. And, and as a good father, he, he pushed me to, to confront my fears. Oh, I have a terror, a terror of heights. I'm terrified of heights. And so I'd be starting up the ladder, and he'd be holding it, and he'd say, Way you go, go on. And it started up the ladder, and it started looking down, right? Don't look down. Look where you're going. Look at what you're doing. Way you go. go. You're all right. You're fine. Holding the ladder. The ladder starts shaking. I don't, you're okay. What am I doing? Well, Dad's telling me I'm okay, but I'm looking down. The ladder's starting to wobble and everything. I'm wavering, right? I'm not, I'm not too sure about this. And some of us, that's sort of where we are. We, we hope in the Lord, but we're just sort of just like, yeah, I'm hoping in Him. I think it's going to be... We've got sweet moments of confidence in Christ. And then we've got the rest of the time where we treat Jesus like a weather forecaster. He thinks, pretty sure that's what's going to go. No, that's not what he's like, though. Peter says, hope fully in him. I wrote down here, I've got five hurdles to hopefulness. See if any of these resonate with you. Hurdle number one, sometimes we're doubtful. We doubt the Lord. We're, we're reluctant sometimes. See, some of us have been burned by people, haven't we? People have let us down. We believe that somebody's going to come through for us. We trusted in somebody. We counted on somebody, and they let us down. For some of us, you were let down big time. I can think of a, a friend of mine I used to spend some time with, and we, he, he really wanted to trust in Jesus. He told me that. I want to trust in him. But he had been burned in his life in a very significant way that he just could not get over. And he told me, we studied the scripture together, we talked together, and he told me, he's like, I just, I just have a hard time trusting. And I think he's probably not the only one. There's probably some of you here today that say, oh, I, I think I'm like him. I, I just got this doubtfulness because I've been burned before by people. But let me ask you this. Is God like other people? Is God faithful? You've got to look at what he's done. You have to admit he has been faithful to a T till now. So what makes me think that will change? Sometimes we're doubtful. Sometimes, sometimes we're forgetful. We forget what God has told us. He's made promises, but in the moment, in the crisis, we forget. Right? Heaven is coming. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, for, I forgot about that. I, I slipped my mind. I've been living and acting like this is all there is. No, it's, it's a reminder. You've got to ask yourself, what has God said? And that's why the first 12 verses of 1 Peter 1 are so important for us because Peter tells us some things, tells us some promises of God so that we're, we're not forgetful. Sometimes another hurdle is not only are we doubtful or forgetful, sometimes we're fearful. We're, we're afraid of what's happening around us. We're afraid of what's going to happen next. And we allow sometimes our fear to override our faith. We're called to trust in God, but we, we're, we're like the, the, the spies that were sent in Israel to check on the promised land. God had promised Israel some land that was to be theirs, and He said, go and take it. Well, the nation sent some spies to go scout it out. They sent 12 of them. Ten were bad and two were good. The two good ones says the land is good. It's just like God said it was. Let's go. But the other ten were like, there's really big people there. They're going to crush us. We're going to die. We should just stay right here and don't move. Uh, sometimes we're like that too. Uh, let me ask you, loved ones, is God sufficient for your troubles? Is He sufficient? Is there anything too hard for Him? 
You've got to ask yourself that. And if the answer is no, then, then what, what am I afraid of? What do I really have to fear? If God is on my side, sometimes we're fearful. Sometimes we're uninformed. And by this, I just mean we just don't know. We're, maybe some of you are baby Christians, and there's still things. I've been talking about the things in verses 1 to 12 in First Peter you never heard before. And so now you're adding that into your knowledge base. You're beginning to grow in these things. And, and so, you know, I mean, if, if you're, you're uninformed, then the thing is just to get informed about what God says. That Paul told the Thessalonians, I do not want you to be uninformed. I want you to know some things. God has spoken. He's spoken through his, his Son, and He speaks to us through His Word. So, so let's, let's learn God's Word, and you won't be uninformed. So sometimes we're doubtful, sometimes we're forgetful, fearful, uninformed. Fifthly, the fifth thing I put down is sometimes we're downcast. Sometimes we're under a cloud. And sometimes when we're under the cloud, we can't really explain it. And we're pretty sure that nobody really understands. There's a sense in which horizontally that might be true. Vertically, of course, it isn't true. God does know. He does understand. The psalmist preaching to himself said, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you downcast within me? There's those seasons, those times, and many of you have been there, and some of you are there, where you're down, you are fatigued, there is a darkness that will not lift. Let me ask you this. Does how you feel in this moment, in this season, does how you feel negate the fact that Christ has risen? Does it negate the fact that God has spoken? Does it negate the fact that by His grace He has called you to Himself? a pastor when I was a little boy in our home church who was known for saying this be my feelings what they will Jesus is my savior still it's like the psalmist says why are you downcast O my soul hope thou in God hope in God he's spoken it's true even if I don't feel it it's there it's true it's real what hurdle are you facing? Maybe you got some other hurdles. Like, well, Ross, you missed the biggest one of all. I may have. What do you, there's hurdles sometimes, aren't there, to us hoping fully in God, to being filled with hopefulness. Which of these is confronting you? Well, Peter calls us here to a full, strong commitment. There, there's, no, there's no backdoor exit here. There's no word unless. Hope fully in God unless you find that difficult. Like that's not in my Bible. Maybe it's in yours. I'll rewrite my sermon. But I don't see that here. He just says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. We're called to full hope in the Lord, full hope in his promises. So I got to ask you, one, will you do that? I mean, will, will, you, will you do that? Two, will you bank on that, on His promises? Will you count on Him? Will you hope fully in Him? Many of you say, yes, Ross, I, yes, I want to. I, 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 I know I need to, but I find it hard to do. So how do you do that? How, how do you hope fully in the Lord? How do you hope fully in God? How do you hope fully in His promises? How do you be filled with hope full? Well, I think how you do it is answered for us in the first part of verse 13. 
I think that the way we generate greater hope, um, the way that we encourage hope, the word I'll use today, the way we cultivate hopefulness in our hearts is by doing what Peter says in the beginning of verse 13. There's two things. Look again in verse 13. Therefore, so in light of, in light of the grace that's to come when Jesus comes, in light of the hope of heaven, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, depending on your translation, that's going to be rendered differently. Sometimes some of your Bibles will have it sound like they're sort of just parallel, three directives. Sometimes the translation is a little funny. It's a tricky verse for translators to work with. But as best as I can understand, it seems to me that what Peter is saying here in the first two instances is how you do the third one. The third one being, you hope fully in the grace that is to come by doing the first two things. For the grammarians in the room, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded are participles. If you're not a grammarian, just forget the last ten seconds. What I'd say to you is the language here, the way that this is written, indicates to me that Peter has in mind that these first two things are how you be more hopeful. That's why it says, at least in my Bible, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. By doing that, set your hope fully in the grace that is to come to you. So the million-dollar question in front of us is, how do we generate hopefulness? Well, the first thing he says is preparing your minds for actions. For action, I would say, firstly, how, how do you increase hopefulness? How do you cultivate hopefulness in your life? We do this by preparing our minds to live in this world. We prepare our minds. We, we ready our minds. The, the language here, actually the, the phrase quite literally could be, maybe even should be rendered uh, here in, where it says preparing your minds for action. The word here is an ancient idiom. It's, it, it could be rendered gird up the loins of your mind. My guess is a lot of modern translators, like people have no idea what that means. So let's just render it this way in a way that makes more sense. But if you've read the Bible lots, that phrase, girding up your loins, will sound really familiar. I mean, it sounds kind of graphic and inappropriate, but it's not at all. It's what it is. It's, an ancient, it's a picture, an ancient picture of somebody preparing themselves for action, preparing themselves to, to work, preparing themselves to run. For example, Elijah. Elijah in uh, 1 Kings, he saw this big old storm coming that's going to be nasty and terrible. And uh, he didn't have a ride. So what he did was he tucked in his garment. My shirt's untucked today. My wife suggested I leave it untucked. But if I tuck it in, right, he got he has this big flowing, flowing robe. And what does he do? Well, he's going to trip on that thing. You Right? You run in your wedding dress, ladies. You're going to go fall flat on your face. You don't run. You walk in it. But what do you do if you got to run? Well, you hitch that thing up. You've seen the brides in the wedding day, right? Hitch that thing up and then they, right, they walk along. Why? Because... Because I can move better. Because I can move better. Well, that's the idea that Peter has here. But to do it with your mind. I was thinking, they could have rendered it this way, roll up the sleeves of your mind. Ready for work. If you ask me to come over and help you split wood or clean up your yard, and I arrive in my jammies and slippers, you'd look at me and say, you're not ready. You're not here to work. Peter says, have your minds ready to do what to do what god designed your minds to do think 
think. Think about what? Think about what God says. In this context, verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action, I'm readying my mind, I'm preparing my mind to engage in the glorious truths I have just read and to think through what I'm about to hear as I read on. Preparing your mind to live in this world involves feeding my mind with truth. I get my mind ready by feeding it, by, by putting things into it that equip me to be more hopeful. Things like the truths of God's Word, things like the promises of God's Word, things like the Gospel of Jesus Christ. As I prepare my mind, as I prepare my mind, I prepare it with truth in order to minister to my heart. See, there's a connection here. There's a connection between your head and your heart. When we think of hopefulness, I think we would rightly locate that in, primarily in our hearts. Hope is not merely a feeling, but it's not less than a feeling. And when we hope in the Lord, we do it with our hearts, with a certainty, with a peace, with a confidence in our hearts. How do I cultivate hopefulness? You need to get your mind ready to serve your heart. How do I do that? By preparing my mind, by feeding it with truth, with promises. We cultivate hopefulness by preparing our minds to live in this world. That's the first thing. The second thing he says is, he says, preparing your mind for actions and being sober-minded. It doesn't say being sober, although being sober, I think, would be part of it, but being sober-minded. It's an ancient expression that speaks to being alert, speaks to being focused, speaks to being clear. When people are inebriated, they aren't any of those things, are they? They're not focused. They're, they don't even make sense half the time. They're not clear. They're slow on the uptake. They're unaware. They're not, they don't realize that it's minus 40 and their fingers are freezing off their bodies because they got all kinds of whiskey in their system or whatever. They think they're okay to drive. I only smoke two joints. I feel really actually quite more, a lot more calmer than I usually do. No, you should not get behind the wheel You're not because you're not able to be alert and focused. Um, when a person's intoxicated, they, they lack self-control. They're distracted. They do foolish things, don't they? If you want to see somebody act a fool, you, see, you look for somebody who's intoxicated. They'll do things. They'll say things that are foolish. They get, it's uh, trivial things, even. When we're sober-minded, though, we're focused. We're dialed in. We're attentive. Too often, we become complacent in our thinking. Peter says, be sober-minded. Too often, we become distracted in our thinking, taking up with trivial, temporal things. Too often, we are influenced by other things, by the world, even by jealousy in our own hearts or the grumbling that we have sometimes. We feel we're owed and that consumes our thinking. How you cultivate Hopefulness is firstly by preparing your minds to live in this world. Secondly, engaging your minds as you live in this world. That's how we do it, by engaging our minds as we live in this world. To be sober-minded is to be awake, awake, alert, focused, involved, and engaged. Engaging your minds to live in this world. Um, are you folks okay over there? The sun is like, I just feel for you. 
over there. You, would you like us to close? I'm almost done. I got like five minutes maybe. You're okay? Everybody's saying okay. There's one person shaking their head no. Everybody else is saying yes. So I'm sorry. I see a church split coming. All right, you hang in there, okay? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm more at peace now knowing you're okay. Think about what Paul says to the Philippians, chapter 4 and verse 8. If you've never heard this verse before, I'll read it. I'll recite it for you. He says to these believers, he says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about what things? All those things. If there's things that are true or honorable or just or pure or lovely or commendable or excellent or worthy of praise, think about these things. It raises a question, what do I think about? What do I think about when I've got nothing else to think about? And you say, well, Ross, if you're as busy as I am, you wouldn't have those times. You're, you're full of it. We're always thinking about something. And our minds wa- I know our minds wander because it's a story of many of our prayer lives, isn't it? You sit to pray and your mind just sort of drifts off. Next thing you're just like, how did I get into my hydro bill? How, how did that happen? How is it that I'm clipping my toenails? I sat down to pray. See, Paul and Peter would tell us we need to be engaged, our minds engaged, alert. What am I thinking about? What is going into my head? What am I reading? What am I listening to? What am I watching? Timothy says, Second Timothy, or sorry, Paul says to Timothy, Second Timothy two, verse seven, he says to him, after instructing him for a chapter and a half, he says, Listen, think over what I say. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give understanding in everything. In other words, understanding comes with thinking on the truth of God's word. I remember, I I know I've told you this story before, but I couldn't help but think of it, just revisiting the conviction I felt. A number of years ago, my previous life, I was a youth pastor in my home church, and um, we had this youth event on, and it brought in a friend of mine who was a gifted evangelist. And uh, it was a great turnout. We had other youth groups joining us, a full house. It was a big success, and, and he preached a great message. And lo and behold, after the service, one of the young people, a young woman, wants to give her life to Christ. I mean, that's just, just, just awesome. And I was just sort of walking through the fellowship hall. with. A, I still remember I had a donut. I was eating a donut. And this friend of mine, he grabs me. He says, Ross, Ross, this girl's name is Lori, and she wants to give her life to Jesus tonight. Will you help her do that right now? I nearly choked on my donut. <coughs> well, uh, well, yeah, if, of course, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Uh, uh, well, so there's this Jesus, and there's the cross, and I don't know what I spewed out, but I got something. By the grace of God, she'd already made up her mind. She was just ready to pray. I look back on that, and I think the Lord, sa- the Lord uh, uh, saved that young lady that night totally in spite of me. And not that it ever depends on me or you, but it is an example of, I think, what Peter's cautioning us about here, about being sober-minded. I was just disengaged and aloof and thinking event and donuts and great and good youth leader and not thinking about the eternal realities that were on the table. 
I think you and I, we can do that. We live our lives like we're driving a car that's in neutral. By God's grace, sometimes the hill is angled right. But when it's not, it's not a good scene. Loved ones, I would suggest to you that when Peter here talks about setting your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus, we, in, we do that, we hope fully, we increase our hopefulness by uh, preparing our minds and by engaging our minds, thinking on the truths of God's Word and being alert to reality. The devil is real. Eternity is coming. There is judgment to come and there's gloriously salvation to be had. Hell is totally escapable. We've got this good news that's a powerful message. Paul says it's the power of God. It literally means it's the dynamite of God. And so often though, our brains are just filled with stuff that doesn't matter. And then we, then we wonder why our worship falls flat all the time. Because I was binge-watching Game of Thrones for the third time. And I wonder why it is that I can't seem to have affections for Jesus. I listen to music that's about all kinds of nonsense and sex and violence and just stupid stuff all the time. All the time. And I wonder, am I missing something this Christian thing? Yeah, you are missing something in this Christian thing. There's glory to to rejoice in. There's a God to know. We spend many hours watching things, listening to things that have no redemptive value. And please hear me, please hear me. I am not a prude. Okay? I love stomping Tom Connors. (laughs) I, I I enjoy the sound of a good singer. I don't mind a, a, a certain television shows. They don't have to be Christian shows all the time. I'm not. I, I don't just have pure flicks on at home. Okay, I, right? There's shows that I enjoy watching. So I'm not saying to, to this afternoon to you know throw away your internet, you know, dump all. But I am saying this. I am saying that I think you and I need to be very wise and very sober-minded about what it is we fill our minds with. And I wonder if there's some good things we could be filling our minds with that were not enough. You say, like, what good things? Well, as a good pastor, I got some ideas. You say, you're going to say the Bible. Yes, I am. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It almost sounds like a a way of handling God's Word that it's welcome and I want it to live here. You say, well, that sounds weird. How do you do that? You think about it. You memorize it. You review it. You ponder it. Yeah, being God's Word. You learn it. You write things down on Sunday. You do like some some of you do. When you leave here, the ride home, you talk about it. This is just a wonderful example. There's a family in, in our church here that, that I know for a fact that every Sunday at their lunch table, they are talking about the things that are on the table at church that morning. 
I think that's a tremendous example for us to follow. To think over these things together. I think also, so, so yes, being in God's Word, I think also too, we should be sober-minded, alert, and ready our minds by being selective in the music we listen to. Some of you in workplaces where the music's on all day, all the time, right? There's just a radio station on and it's just all you hear. It's like, it's just, it's like the jackhammer in the background at a construction site. It's all you hear all day. So it's especially important for you. Okay? I'm not saying don't go in and tear the radio out of the wall or anything like that. Don't do that. That would just be weird and you'd be on the hook for that. You'd probably get fired. But it's that much more important for you to fill your head with good music. And uh, listen, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I don't think the Christian music industry has ever, ever been stronger. There was a day when Christian music was cheesy. It's not anymore. I mean, there's still cheesy stuff, right? But I think it's more has to do with tastes than it does with quality. Treat your mind to good books. Say, well, I don't read. Well, God wrote a book. So you better learn to like to read or get somebody to read to you or get an audible or something. But also there's, there's, such, a, there's such a wealth of biographies of God's goodness. There's, there's so many resources to help us to live this Christian life. So I just think maybe it's a growth area for you to, to learn to like to read. You don't have to be great big thick books, although you can. Just got to be a good book. And I'm glad to give you a bunch of titles if you'd like. One more thing I have here, and we could go on, but activate your mind, engage your mind through good fellowship. I just mean talking with people. Here's the thing. I love talking with, with I love talking with you folks about anything because I love you. I, I do. I don't love you perfectly. But I love conversation. We build rapport, right? Like I was talking with somebody this morning about the Leafs because I'm a Leaf fan. That's not sinful. That's not bad. We talk about our pets. We talk about all that's great. It's fine. I'm not saying it's wrong at all. Do you hear me? It's not wrong to talk about that stuff. It's great. It's good. It's good. But the thing that we're, we ought to be reminded of if we're sober-minded is that there are so few people in this world whom we can talk energetically and joyfully about the same great treasure named Jesus. There's so few people in our lives that we can talk to about Him, like the people here in your family, your church family. So what I would just say is enjoy good fellowship. Let's also talk about the Lord. Like let's talk about the hope. Is that reminder? What's, what's something you could ask somebody? What is something you do that you're thinking that you might do to get more truth into your mind? Is there something? You know, I'm, I'm looking for ideas. He gave a bunch. I don't like any of them. I need another idea, right? Well, talk about that. Talk about, isn't it so good that we're going to heaven? Isn't that so good? You say, that's weird, Ross. No, it's called fellowship. Where we talk about these things. There's so many people in our lives that we just can't have those conversations with, but you can hear. So let's do that. Get yourself into a small group. Say, how do I do that? Stop by the connection center. Said, I need to go somewhere where we can talk about Jesus. Okay? Just that's all you gotta do. That's all I gotta Yeah. My name's Ross Kearney. I need a group. Excellent. We'll help you. Where you can be in a group where you're talking about about the Lord. Will you take a step today to be sober minded, to have a mind ready for action? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And as they do, let's just take a moment and let's talk to the Lord about this.
Just take a moment. Now, as they're coming, they're coming. There's activity. There's moving. We're packing up. He said it was going to be five minutes. It was actually ten minutes. Hang on, hang on. Just hang on with me. Don't pack up. Because what I want to do is I want to, I want to really pray. This isn't a transition. When we pray in church, it's not just a transition from one thing to another. We're going to talk to God about this. So let's do that. Father, we've seen in your word how you have ordained that our minds serve our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us grace to take steps today, this week, to prepare our minds to be more sober-minded, engaging our minds in the truth of your word, in the promises you have made, in the glories that we have in Jesus. Would you help us, O God, in light of the grace that's coming to us, to hope fully in it? Lord, would you do work in our minds, bring healing to our minds as we take in your word, as we take in your truth, as we think about these things? Would you instruct our hearts, Lord, with the truth of your word and by the work of your spirit, would you instruct our hearts supernaturally to hope in you? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.